Section 26 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 26. Selected Poems by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Part 1. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, 1809 through 1861. Interesting to step back sixty years into the lives of Miss Mitford and her dear young friend Miss Barrett, when the S's of authoresses and poetesses and editresses and hermitesses make the pages sibilant, when books of beauty and keepsakes and the extraordinary methods of Finden's tableau make us wonder that literature survived, when Mr. Kenyon, taking Miss Midford to the giraffes and the diorama, called for, quote, Miss Barrett, a hermitess in Gloucester Place, who reads Greek as I do French, who has published some translations from Aeschylus, and some most striking poems our sweet miss barrett to think of virtue and genius is to think of her of her own life mrs browning writes quote, as to stories my story amounts to the knife grinders with nothing at all for a catastrophe a bird in a cage would have as good a story most of my events and nearly all my intense pleasure have passed in my thoughts End quote. She was born at Burn Hall, Durham, on March 6, 1809, and passed a happy childhood and youth in her father's country house at Hope End, Herefordshire. She was remarkably precocious, reading Homer in the original at eight years of age. She said that in those days, quote, the Greeks were her demigods. She dreamed more of Agamemnon than of Moses, her black pony. I wrote verses very early, at eight years old and earlier, but what is less common, the early fancy turned into a will and remained with me." At seventeen years of age, she published the Essay on Mind and translated the Prometheus of Aeschylus. Some years later, the family removed to London, and here Elizabeth, on account of her continued delicate health, kept in her room for months at a time. The shock following on the death of her brother, who was drowned before her eyes in Torquay, whither she had gone for rest, completely shattered her physically. Now her life of seclusion in her London home began. For years she lay upon a couch in a large, comfortably darkened room, seeing only the immediate members of her family and a few privileged friends, and spending her days in writing and study reading miss mitford says almost every book worth reading in almost every language here robert browning met her they were married in eighteen forty six against the will of her father going abroad immediately they finally settled in florence at the casa guidi made famous by her poem bearing the same name their home became the centre of attraction to visitors in florence and many of the finest minds in the literary and artistic world were among their friends Hawthorne, who visited them, describes Mrs. Browning as, quote, a pale, small person, scarcely embodied at all, and at any rate only substantial enough to put forth her slender fingers to be grasped, and to speak with a shrill yet sweet tenuity of voice. 
it is wonderful to see how small she is how pale her cheek how bright and dark her eyes there is not such another figure in the world and her black ringlets cluster down her neck and make her face look whiter she died in florence on the thirtieth of june eighteen sixty one and the citizens of florence placed a tablet to her memory on the walls of casa guidi the life and personality of elizabeth barrett browning seem to explain her poetry it is a life quote, without a catastrophe end quote, except perhaps to her devoted father and it is to this father's devotion that some of mrs browning's poetical sins are due for by him she was so pampered and shielded from every outside touch that all the woes common to humanity grew for her into awful tragedies her life was abnormal and unreal an unreality that passed more or less into everything she did indeed her resuscitation after meeting robert browning would mount into a miracle unless it were realized that nothing in her former life had been quite as woeful as it seemed that mrs browning was a woman of real genius even edward fitzgerald allowed and in speaking of shelley walter savage landor said quote, with the exception of burns he shelley and keats were inspired with a stronger spirit of poetry than any other poet since milton i sometimes fancy that elizabeth barrett browning comes next this is very high praise from very high authority but none too high for mrs browning for her best work has the true lyric ring that spontaneity of thought and expression which comes when the singer forgets himself in his song and becomes tuneful under the stress of the moment's inspiration all of mrs browning's work is buoyed up by her luxurious and overflowing imagination with all its imperfections of technique its lapses of taste and faults of expression it always remains poetry throbbing with passion and emotion and rich in color and sound she wrote because she must her own assertions notwithstanding one cannot think of mrs browning as sitting down in cold blood to compose a poem according to fixed rules of art this is the secret of her shortcomings it is also the source of her strength and in her best work raises her high above those who with more technical skill have less of the true poet's divine fire and overflowing imagination so in the sonnets from the portuguese written at a time when her woman's nature was thrilled to its very depths by the love of her quote, most gracious singer of high poems end quote, and put forth as translations from another writer and tongue in these her imperfections drop away and she soars to marvellous heights of song such a lyric outburst as this which reveals with magnificent frankness the innermost secrets of an ardently loving woman's heart is unequalled in literature here the woman poet is strong and sane here she is free from obscurity and mannerisms and from grotesque rhymes she has stepped out from her life of visions and of morbid woes into a life of wholesome reality and of sweet reasonableness their literary excellence is due also to the fact that in the sonnet mrs browning was held to a rigid form and was obliged to curb her imagination and restrain her tendency to diffuseness of expression mr saintsbury goes so far as to say that the sonnet beginning quote, if thou wilt love me let it be for naught except for love's sake only end quote, does not fall far short of shakespeare aurora lee gives rise to the old question is it advisable to turn a three-volume novel into verse 
yet landor wrote about it quote, i am reading a poem full of thought and fascinating with fancy mrs browning's aurora lee in many places there is the wild imagination of shakespeare i am half drunk with it never did i think i should have a good draught of poetry again ruskin somewhere considered it the greatest poem of the nineteenth century quote, with enough imagination to set up a dozen lesser poets end quote. and stedman calls it quote, a representative and original creation representative in a versatile kaleidoscopic presentment of modern life and issues original because the most idiosyncratic of its author's poems an audacious speculative freedom pervades it which smacks of the new world rather than the old aurora lee is a mirror of contemporary life while its learned and beautiful illustrations make it almost a handbook of literature and the arts although a most uneven production full of ups and downs of capricious and prosaic episodes it nevertheless contains poetry as fine as its author has given us elsewhere and enough spare inspiration to set up a dozen smaller poets the flexible verse is noticeably her own and often handled with as much spirit as freedom mrs browning herself declared in the most mature of her works quote, and the one into which my highest convictions upon life and art have entered consider this for it is not in mere death that men die most and after our first girding of the loins in youth's fine linen and fair broidery to run uphill and meet the rising sun we are apt to sit tired patient as a fool while others gird us with the violent bands of social figments feints and formalisms reversing our straight nature lifting up our base needs keeping down our lofty thoughts head downwards on the cross sticks of the world yet he can pluck us from that shameful cross god set our feet low and our foreheads high and teach us how a man was made to walk or this i've waked and slept through many nights and days since then but still that day will catch my breath like a nightmare there are fatal days indeed in which the fibrous years have taken root so deeply that they quiver to their tops whene'er you stir the dust of such a day again passion is but something suffered after all while art sets action on the top of suffering and this nothing is small no lily-muffled hum of summer bee but finds some coupling with the spinning stars no pebble at your foot but proves a sphere earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with god but only he who sees takes off his shoes among mrs browning's smaller poems crowned and buried is notwithstanding serious defects of technique one of the most virile things she has written indeed some of her finest lines are to be found in it in the cry of the children and in cowper's grave the pathos is most true and deep lord walter's wife is an even more courageous vindication of the feminine essence than aurora lee and her vision of poets is said to vie in beauty with tennyson's own the fine thought and haunting beauty of a musical instrument with its matchless climax need not be dwelt on 
during her fifteen years residence in florence she threw herself with great enthusiasm into italian affairs and wrote some political poems of varying merit whose interest necessarily faded away when the occasion passed but among those poems inspired by the struggle for freedom casa guidi windows comes close to the sonnets from the portuguese and aurora lee and holds an enduring place for its high poetry its musical sonorous verse and the sustained intellectual vigor of composition her volume of last poems contains among much inferior matter some of her finest and most touching work as a musical instrument the forest recruit and mother and poet peter bain says of her in his great englishwomen in melodiousness and splendor of poetic gift miss browning stands first among women she may not have the knowledge of life the insight into character the comprehensiveness of some but we must all agree that a poet's far more essential qualities are hers usefulness fervor a noble aspiration and above all a tender far-reaching nature loving and beloved and touching the hearts of her readers with some virtue from its depths she seemed even in her life something of a spirit and her view of life's sorrow and shame of its hearty and eternal hope is something like that which one might imagine a spirit's to be whether political or sociological or mystical or sentimental or impossible there is about all that miss browning has written an enduring charm of picturesqueness of romance and of a pure enthusiasm for art art for art she cries and good for god himself the essential good we'll keep our aims sublime our eyes erect although our woman hands should shake and fail this was her achievement her hands did not fail her husband's words will furnish perhaps the best conclusion to this slight study Quote, you are wrong he said quite wrong she has genius i am only a painstaking fellow can't you imagine a clever sort of angel who plots and plans and tries to build up something he wants to make you see it as he sees it shows you one point of view carries you off to another hammering into your head the thing he wants you to understand and whilst this bother is going on god almighty turns you off a little star that's the difference between us the true creative power is hers not mine End quote. selected poems a musical instrument what was he doing the great god pan down in the reeds by the river spreading ruin and scattering ban splashing and paddling with hooves of a goat and breaking the golden lilies afloat with the dragonfly on the river he tore out a reed the great god pan from the deep cool bed of the river the limpidly water turbidly ran and the broken lilies a-dying lay and the dragonfly had fled away ere he brought it out of the river high on the shore sat the great god pan while turbidly flowed the river and hacked and hewed as a great god can with his hard bleak steel at the patient reed till there was not a sign of the leaf indeed to prove it fresh from the river he cut it short did the great god pan how tall it stood in the river then drew the pith like the heart of a man 
steadily from the outside ring and notched the poor dry empty thing in holes as he sat by the river this is the way laughed the great god pan laughed while he sat by the river the only way since gods began to make sweet music they could succeed then dropping his mouth to a hole in the reed he blew in power by the river sweet 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 o oh pan piercing sweet by the river blinding sweet o oh great god pan the sun on the hill forgot to die and the lilies revived and the dragon-fly came back to dream on the river yet half a beast is the great god pan to laugh as he sits by the river making a poet out of a man the true gods sigh for the cost and the pain for the reed which grows never more again as a reed with the reeds in the river my heart and i enough we're tired my heart and i we sit beside the headstone thus and wish that name were carved for us the moss reprints more tenderly the hard types of the mason's knife as heaven's sweet life renews earth's life with which we're tired my heart and i you see we're tired my heart and i we dealt with books we trusted men and in our own blood drenched the pen as if such colors could not fly we walked too straight for fortune's end we loved too true to keep a friend at last we're tired my heart and i how tired we feel my heart and i we seem of no use in the world our fancies hang gray and uncurled about men's eyes indifferently our voice which thrilled you so will let you sleep our tears are only wet what do we hear my heart and i so tired so tired my heart and i it was not thus in that old time when ralph sat with me neath the lime to watch the sunset from the sky dear love you're looking tired he said i smiling at him shook my head tis now we're tired my heart and i so tired so tired my heart and i though none now takes me on his arm to fold me close and kiss me warm till each quick breath end in a sigh of happy languor now alone we lean upon this graveyard stone uncheered unkissed my heart and i tired out we are my heart and i suppose the world brought diadems to tempt us crusted with loose gems of powers and pleasures let it try we scarcely care to look at even a pretty child or god's blue heaven we feel so tired my heart and i yet who complains my heart and i in this abundant earth no doubt is little room for things worn out disdain them break them throw them by and if before the days grew rough we once were loved used well enough i think we've fared my heart and i from katerina to camoans 
dying in his absence abroad and referring to the poem in which he recorded the sweetness of her eyes on the door you will not enter i have gazed too long adieu hope withdraws her peradventure death is near me and not you come o lover close and cover these poor eyes you called i ween sweetest eyes were ever seen when i heard you sing that burden in my vernal days and bowers other praises disregarding i but hearkened that of yours only saying in heart playing blessed eyes mine eyes have been if the sweetest his have seen but all changes at this vesper cold the sun shines down the door if you stood there would you whisper love i love you as before death pervading now and shading eyes you sang of that yesterreen as the sweetest ever seen yes i think were you beside them near the bed i die upon though their beauty you denied them as you stood there looking down you would truly call them duly for the love's sake found therein sweetest eyes were ever seen and if you looked down upon them and if they looked up to you all the light which has forgone them would be gathered back anew they would truly be as duly love transformed to beauty's sheen sweetest eyes were ever seen but ah me you only see me in your thoughts of loving man smiling soft perhaps and dreamy through the wavings of my fan and unweeding go repeating in your reverie serene sweetest eyes were ever seen o oh, my poet o oh, my prophet when you praised their sweetness so did you think in singing of it that it might be near to go had you fancies from their glances that the grave would quickly screen sweetest eyes were ever seen no reply the fountains warble in the courtyard sounds alone as the water to the marble so my heart falls with a moan from love sighing to this dying death forerunneth love to win sweetest eyes were ever seen will you come when i'm departed where all sweetnesses are hid where thy voice my tender-hearted will not lift up either lid cry o lover love is over cry beneath the cypress green sweetest eyes were ever seen when the angelus is ringing near the convent will you walk and recall the choral singing which brought angels down our talk spirit shriven i viewed heaven till you smiled is earth unclean sweetest eyes were ever seen when beneath the palace lattice you ride slow as you have done and you see a face there that is not the old familiar one will you oftly murmur softly hear ye watched me morn and e'en sweetest eyes were ever seen when the palace ladies sitting round your gittern shall have said poets sing those verses written for the lady who is dead will you tremble yet dissemble or sing hoarse with tears between sweetest eyes were ever seen sweetest eyes 
how sweet in flowings the repeated cadence is though you sang a hundred poems still the best one would be this i can hear it twixt my spirit and the earth noise intervene sweetest eyes were ever seen but but now yet unremoved up to heaven they glisten fast you may cast away beloved in your future all my past such old phrases may be praises for some fairer bosom queen sweetest eyes were ever seen eyes of mine what are ye doing faithless faithless praised amiss if a tear be on your showing dropped for any hope of his death has boldness besides coldness if unworthy tears demean sweetest eyes were ever seen i will look out to his future i will bless it till it shine should he ever be a suitor unto sweeter eyes than mine sunshine gild them angels shield them whatsoever eyes to be the sweetest his have seen the sleep he giveth his beloved sleep psalm 127 verse 2 of all the thoughts of god that are borne inward into souls afar along the psalmist's music deep now tell me if that any is for gift or grace surpassing this he giveth his beloved sleep what would we give to our beloved the hero's heart to be unmoved the poet's star-tuned harp to sweep the patriot's voice to teach and rouse the monarch's crown to light the brows he giveth his beloved sleep what do we give to our beloved a little faith all undisproved a little dust to overweep and bitter memories to make the whole earth blasted for our sake he giveth his beloved sleep sleep soft beloved we sometimes say who have no tune to charm away sad dreams that through the eyelids creep but never doleful dream again shall break the happy slumber when he giveth his beloved sleep o earth so full of dreary noises o men with wailing in your voices o delved gold the wailers heap o strife o curse that o'er it fall god strikes a silence through you all and giveth his beloved sleep his dews drop mutely on the hill his cloud above it saileth still though on its slope men sow and reap more softly than the dew is shed or cloud is floated overhead he giveth his beloved sleep ay men may wonder while they scan a living thinking feeling man confirmed in such a rest to keep but angels say and through the word i think their happy smile is heard he giveth his beloved sleep for me my heart that erst did go most like a tired child at a show that sees through tears the murmurs leap would now its wearied vision close would childlike on his love repose who giveth his beloved sleep and friends 
dear friends when it shall be that this low brow is gone from me and round my bier ye come to weep let one most loving of you all say not a tear must o'er her fall he giveth his beloved sleep the cry of the children one do ye hear the children weeping o my brothers ere the sorrow comes with years they are leaning their young heads against their mothers and that cannot stop their tears the young lambs are bleating in the meadows the young birds are chirping in the nest the young fawns are playing with the shadows the young flowers are blowing toward the west but the young young children o oh my brothers they are weeping bitterly they are weeping in the playtime of the others in the country of the free two do you question the young children in their sorrow why their tears are falling so the old man may weep for his to-morrow which is lost in long ago the old tree is leafless in the forest the old year is ending in the frost the old wound of stricken is the sorest the old hope is hardest to be lost but the young young children o oh my brothers do you ask them why they stand weeping sore before the bosoms of their mothers in our happy fatherland three they look up with their pale and sunken faces and their looks are sad to see for the man's hoary anguish draws and presses down the cheeks of infancy your old earth they say is very dreary our young feet they say are very weak few paces have we taken yet are weary our grave rest is very far to seek ask the aged why they weep and not the children for the outside earth is cold and we young ones stand without in our bewildering and the graves are for the old four true say the children it may happen that we die before our time little alice died last year her grave is shapen like a snowball in the rhyme we looked into the pit prepared to take her was no room for any work in the close clay from the sleep wherein she lieth none will wake her crying get up little alice it is day if you listen by that grave in sun and shower with your ear down little alice never cries could we see her face be sure we should not know her for the smile has time for growing in her eyes and merry go her moments lulled and shrilled in the shroud by the kirk chime it is good when it happens say the children that we die before our time five alas alas the children they are seeking death in life as best to have they are binding up their hearts away from breaking with the cerement from the grave go out children from the mine and from the city sing out children as the little thrushes do pluck your handfuls of the meadow cowslips pretty laugh aloud to feel your fingers let them through but they answer are your cowslips of the meadows like our weeds and near the mine leave us quiet in the dark of the coal shadows from your pleasures fair and fine six for oh say the children we are weary and we cannot run or leap 
if we cared for any meadows it were merely to drop down in them and sleep our knees tremble sorely in the stooping we fall upon our faces trying to go and underneath our heavy eyelids drooping the reddest flower would look as pale as snow for all day we drag our burden tiring through the cold dark underground or all day we drive the wheels of iron in the factories round and round seven for all day the wheels are droning turning their wind comes in our faces till our hearts turn our heads with pulses burning and the walls turn in their places turns the sky in the high window blank and reeling turns the long light that drops adown the wall turn the black flies that crawl along the ceiling all are turning all the day and we withal and all the day the iron wheels are droning and sometimes we pray o oh, ye wheels breaking out in a mad moaning stop be silent for to-day eight ay be silent let them hear each other breathing for a moment mouth to mouth let them touch each other's hands in a fresh wreathing of their tender human youth let them feel that this cold metallic motion is not all the life god fashions or reveals let them prove their living souls against the notion that they live in you or tender you o wheels still all day the iron wheels go onward grinding life down from its mark and the children's souls which god is calling sunward spin on blindly in the dark Nine now tell the poor young children o oh my brothers to look up to him and pray so the blessed one who blesseth all the others will bless them another day they answer who is god that he should hear us while the rushing of the iron wheels is stirred when we sob aloud the human creatures near us pass by hearing not or answer not a word and we hear not for the wheels in their resounding strangers speaking at the door is it likely god with angels singing round him hears our weeping any more ten two words indeed of praying we remember and at midnight's hour of harm our father looking upward in the chamber we say softly for a charm we know no other words except our father and we think that in some pause of angels song god may pluck them with the silence sweet together and hold both within his right hand which is strong our father if he heard us he would surely for they call him good and mild answer smiling down the steep world very purely come and rest with me my child eleven but no say the children weeping faster he is speechless as a stone and they tell us of his image is the master who commands us to work on go to say the children up in heaven dark wheel-like turning clouds are all we find do not mock us grief has made us unbelieving we look up for god but tears have made us blind do you hear the children weeping and disproving o oh, my brothers what ye preach for god's possible is taught by his world's loving and the children doubt of each twelve 
and well may the children weep before you they are weary ere they run they have never seen the sunshine nor the glory which is brighter than the sun they know the grief of man without its wisdom they sink in man's despair without its calm are slaves without the liberty in christdom are martyrs by the pang without the palm are worn as if with age yet unretrievingly the harvest of its memories cannot reap are orphans of the earthly love and heavenly let them weep let them weep thirteen they look up with their pale and sunken faces and their look is dread to see for they mind you of their angels in high places with eyes turned on deity how long they say how long o cruel nation will you stand to move the world on a child's heart stifle down with a mailed heel its palpitation and tread onward to your throne amid the mart our blood splashes upward o gold heaper and your purple shows your path but the child's sob in the silence curses deeper than the strong man in his wrath End of section 26